0: Hey everybody, what's up? It's Chase. Welcome to another episode of the show. Today's guest is Ryan Holiday. You probably know Ryan. He's been on the show a couple times. In case you don't, you've been uh, living under a rock because Ryan's work is so popular these days. Ryan Holiday dropped out of college at 19 to apprentice under Robert Greene, the author. He then was a marketer at American Apparel. He went on to found a creative agency and then started writing books on his own where he has written, I think, 10 books, most of them bestsellers, including Obstacle is the Way, Ego is the Enemy, The Daily Stoic, and Stillness is the Key, which has sold millions and millions of copies around the world, 30 Languages, something like that. I consider Ryan a dear friend, and today we're having him on the show to talk about how to live the life that you want on your terms by being incredibly practical, and the book in particular is about the Stoics. It's called Lives of the Stoics, and right now you're thinking, wait a minute, I don't even know what Stoic philosophy is. This is a great primer, and more importantly, it is an amazing way of thinking. It's not telling you how to think, or sorry, what to think, but it's telling you how to think, and I think you're going to get a treat out of today's episode. Ryan, not only is he super smart and talented uh, at writing books, but he's an incredible communicator, Uh, so please join me in welcoming Ryan to the show. Let's get into it. Three, two, one, take it away. Hey, if you're like me, you are wildly aware, now more than ever, how much we need creativity. Maybe you're feeling stuck, you need a creative boost. Whatever your case may be, I want you to know that I wrote a manual to help you at any stage of your career, hobby, or life. And it's called Creative Calling. You may be familiar with it if you heard me talk about it. It is my best-selling book where I put so much heart, soul, years of work. And it would mean the world to me if you checked it out, if you don't already have a copy or two or ten. I believe deeply in it. There's hundreds and hundreds of five-star reviews on uh, on Amazon and other sites. So if you are at all interested in let's just say accentuating your creativity, unlocking some of the barriers between who you are right now and what you think is possible for this one precious life, I would invite you to check out Creative Calling and let me know what you think about it. My ears are open. All right, thanks so much for listening. Now, let's back
1: to the show. How's right. it going, dude? I'm doing good. I'm doing
0: good, man. Nice to see your face on the screen here. It's been yeah, a little it's,
1: bit. It's been uh, a long time.
0: Describe what, what's happening. Where are you? What's uh, what's going on in your world?
1: I'm, uh, you know, I'm hanging out. I'm in my office, uh, just uh, wind, winding down the day, winding down another week. What has it been? Fucking nine months of this.
0: Oh, God.
1: I, uh, I had a weird thing. So, like, I have an Apple Watch and, you know, it, like, records, like, uh, hey, you have, like, a 10-day streak or whatever, you know? And uh, I, I noticed. So, it, it's gotten in, it's, I don't know, it's, like, 150 days or 200 days or something like that. Yeah,
0: I was going to say you're discrediting yourself. I saw your Insta story the other day. It was, like, at 162.
1: Okay, but so here's the crazy thing. It's actually at, like, 200. But uh, it's something glitched on the watch, and it started counting, and like it started losing days, like it was going in the wrong direction, and I didn't even notice because all the days have blurred together and I've <laughs> lost all track of time.
0: <laughs> well, I don't know, man. I don't know if that's something the Stoic would say. Would this? Would a Stoic say that uh, it, the the watch glitched, or would the Stoic own it?
1: Well, what I'm saying is that uh, when 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 you're so locked into a routine, it doesn't matter. What's going on? I you you even lose track of the passage of time, and that's that's where I am.
0: Well, for those who uh if you haven't gathered, Ryan and I go way back and um he's been on the show. I think this is your fourth time, bud. And I think so. Each each of these has been timed with uh one of your epic book releases and we've had you on, I think not all of them, because you
1: got 10 books now, right? Is that <laughs> true? I think I, it's 10 or 11. I, I, again, I've also lost <laughs> track of that as well. It all plays together.
0: It's like losing. You don't tell me you've lost track of how many kids you have too, right?
1: That's that's <laughs> thankfully a small enough number that I can't easily forget.
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, good to have you on the show. And yeah. for those listening, the the um, we'll probably do a little bit of a recap because uh, believe it or not, there are a handful of people on the planet who haven't read your material. Um, it's our goal today to reach some new new folks, but we're going to re- start by retracing my uh, my little outline for our conversation today. Okay, start, starts way back with the book that. Uh, well, actually, I want to start before you were an author, and then we'll go to the book that I, okay. I think has, has come back in a weird way. So there was a time when you weren't an author, and when you worked for authors, and you were the uh, vice president of marketing or director of marketing rather uh, for a fancy clothing brand or a a gritty clothing brand. And you cut your teeth in a, I think, a really interesting way. So why don't you give me like the 60 second or give the folks at home a 60 second version of that. uh, And then I want to figure out how you made this jump from not being an author to being one, because that is the task of a lot of the people listening and watching right now is that they're doing something they don't want to be doing. And they're trying to go to the thing they want to be. So help us understand your journey in both of those.
1: I think I was in a similar place where I, I sort of vaguely understood that I wanted to be a writer, but I also knew that no one was lining up to give you know, college students any book deals and I didn't have anything to say. And so I sort of set my sights on just doing interesting stuff and sort of preparing eventually for a career where I could be a writer. And so uh, I dropped out of college when I was about 20 and I worked for a bunch of different authors who are doing internet marketing stuff. And I ended up ultimately being the director of marketing at, at a company uh, that people used to be familiar with, but uh, no longer so familiar with, called American Apparel, which was at the time one of the biggest fashion brands in the world. Uh, and And so there was this period where I was sort of training and learning and experiencing things. And ultimately moving towards, you know, being able to write a book someday. And my first book came out in 2012, which is sort of an expose on on how the world of marketing really works. Um, but But for me, it was the idea that to write a book that people would want to read, it has to be based on real experiences and an interesting life and it's going to draw on all your connections and relationships. So there was a, you know, basically from, you know, 19 to 26, when that book came out, that was me sort of paying my dues, cutting your teeth, as you said, setting up the stage. So then I could make what seemed like an abrupt transition to some people, but in fact, it's sort of been, been sort of pretty strategically laid out.
0: What about income? Like I want to go like very tactically, because right now most people are, well, aside from the pandemic, which has ravaged the economy, the people who are doing a thing that they don't want to be doing, uh, they mostly are stuck there. Uh, the reasons that I hear are financial. I'm like, yeah. I can't can't put enough money in the bank in order because I don't make enough in order to save up enough to take the leap to do the thing. So, give me a, a tactic on how you did that first. And I think what I'm trying to do right now is set the table for again the handful of people who aren't familiar with your work that you actually didn't you weren't born uh a writer you weren't from, yeah, yeah. you know you know you didn't come out of the womb with a keyboard in your hand
1: well i was it's funny i was thinking about this this morning i had uh i had matt berninger on my podcast the the lead singer of the national and i was reading about his story and he had a similar story where he had been like an ad executive uh up until the band had put out like i think two or three different albums um and and that was actually very similar to what I did. So yes, I took this leap to be an author, and and I I sort of partially walked away from the job. But uh, it was a similar thing where one uh, it's like I was ready to make the leap, but it turned out because I had a skill set and uh, a set of skills that were in demand. I didn't I didn't I guess you don't have to blow up your life to become an artist. And in fact, the 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 that I had a day job and that I'd cultivated a, and, and ultimately ended up building a little bit of a business or, or a, a side business and all this stuff put me in a position to actually take bigger creative risks. Like not only was I writing about what I'd learned in my job, but then also for my I I, I left American Apparel in the fall of 2014. And and so I'd actually put out three books before I left. Um, so I'm I'm not, I, I think, look, I dropped out of college. I didn't stay in college and then, you know, do all this other stuff. So I definitely am a proponent. Sometimes you got to take that big leap, but you don't always have to burn the boats behind you. um And and for me, being able to write the books while having a day job allowed me, you know, my first book I got paid, I got a, a nice, you know, chunk of chains for. But my second book, or, which is actually really my third book, which is Trust Me, uh, which was the obstacle, as the way the publisher, uh, you know, was not super excited about a book of ancient philosophy, as you can imagine. <laughs> uh, and so, part of the, I, I'm, I think I would have done it anyway. But the point is, I wasn't that concerned with, you know, upfront what that project was going to earn because I didn't. It's not that I didn't need it, but it's that I didn't need it to live. Yeah, you know, and and I so the starving artist position can be actually, although creatively liberating in some ways, I think also creatively constraining in other ways.
0: Yeah, and that's you know we've had a similar conversation before, not recorded, but just you know over uh, tacos, and and I think this is a you know this is part of the journey. Now you're you know I don't know how many bestsellers you got out of that that ten uh, the. Daily Stoic, the, you know, that has been on the <laughs> list forever, Lives of the Stoics, the one we're going to talk about today has been obviously hitting. And I think you're maybe north of a million copies now on Ego or or the trifecta at least. So to say that you're successful in your area of focus and passion is an understatement. And the thing that is just, it repeats itself over and over in pop culture, and especially when shit gets hard with the economy and life is people get down, people get frustrated and there's this understanding or there's a, sorry, a lack of understanding of how, you know, someone got from point A to point B. And I know it's hard for people out there who are already large fans of yours. Cause when your name pops up on the podcast, when it's, it's in someone's feed and they're going to, Oh, I'm going to go listen to this. They think they're knowing what they're getting, but the fact that you had to actually start from zero and go to one, you know, I think is healthy for people to, to figure
1: out. Well, so, look, I mean, I, I started from, from zero in the sense that, like, look, none of my parents' friends were artists. None of my parents' friends wrote books. I don't think, I was thinking about this probably not until college uh, did I ever meet a single, uh, did I meet a single person who, like, adult who didn't have a job. And in fact, yeah. I grew up in Sacramento, which is a government town. So almost everyone had, like, government jobs. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't like my, my dad was a police officer. My mom was a school principal. You know, I not even like, oh, this, this person's an executive at a, at an entertainment company. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. like uh, I, I, I remember, yeah, I, I, I don't remember anyone having jobs or having anything but jobs. Right. So, so it was very unfamiliar in that sense. On the other hand, you know, like uh, I left college without any debt. I'm a I'm a white male. Like I, I had all sorts of advantages in that sense. But I, I think, I think so. So so look, is it hard to be an artist? Is it difficult? Are there all sorts of institutional and cultural barriers? Of course. But I would also say there's this barrier that I think deters a lot of let's just call it normal people who who really shouldn't be intimidated or scared at all. Who think that like. Well, I can't, you know, I I, I've got a mortgage, or I have, you know, uh, I I can't afford to do it. It's it's like being a writer is hard, no no question. But like, it it was only until somewhat recently, I would say, that it even began to consume the all of my time. You know what I mean? Like, it's very it's very possible to do these things while you're doing other things, especially now. I mean, even like, even when I started, uh, my first book came out in 2012, just like, nobody had podcasts where you had your own audience, like- like, I had a podcast. (laughs) <laughs> you're but even you didn't call it a I feel like it was a show i mean you had show. like a yeah, produced yeah. show like yeah that you had to record i mean you had yeah, you a flew to seattle to be yeah i had to fly on yeah. a plane you had a set with camera operators and an audience like the, the, what you're doing now is yeah. a thousand times cheaper than yeah. what you were doing oh. yeah eight, eight years ago if, if not it's cost if not, me 12 dollars today yeah <laughs> so so like um what what all that means it's not just that it's more affordable it's that it it actually takes fewer waking hours to do it you know what i mean like just all of it is easier in that sense and so i i think it's very possible to do and and not only is it very possible to do it it's like think about all the people who managed to do it a hundred years ago with kids and no childcare, worrying of dying of, you know, this or that. I mean, I used to joke, like people used to worry about dying of the plague, but unfortunately that's uh, no longer such a distant concern. But I just mean like people have had it harder than you for almost all of history. If you can't, if you want to be a photographer, a writer, or a musician, and you can't make it work at least enough on the side to generate some momentum, I am very skeptical that you will be able to do it if all those things went away and you didn't have to worry about money or supporting yourself.
0: Yeah, that that's part of to me why this is a question that perplexes me. Why I wanted to spend time with you on it. I know you've written at length about you know creative blocks and you know you, you talked. To, I remember joking with you once about a run. I think I put this in my book. Ryan Holiday talks about a runner's block. Hell no, you're gonna get outside and you're gonna go running, right? And I think that's it's surprising to me, but also still not surprising because as humans, we have this you know multi million year old organ in our skull that's not there to actually make us fulfilled, it's there to help us survive, and we have to actually train it. And the most important part of that training, I think, are the world's words we say to ourselves. And you know, it that in a pretty cool way, I think that goes that arcs back around to the the bent that you have been on for now i'm gonna call it i'm just gonna put my finger in the air and i say seven years that you've been really focused on stoic philosophy
1: i mean so i would i i would say it it predates the other stuff i just didn't really publish books about it but but yeah. that's actually an interesting point right so um like when when trust me i'm lying came out a bunch of my fans were surprised because what i've been writing about online was philosophy like that's what i was writing about on my blog so they're like where this marketing stuff come from? And it's like, that's that's what I do every day. I just do this right. stuff on the side. And then when, when the marketing book succeeded and built an audience, then when I did a stoicism book, people were like, well, what's the transition here? And it's like, actually, there's been no transition. So it's interesting, like I'll, I'll, I'll consult with the authors. Uh, like people are like, hey, you know, I'm thinking about doing a book or, you know, um, I've always wanted to do a book or I have a book coming out in a year. Or I just started it whatever. And I'll go, um, oh, okay, like, so what have you written online? And they're like, well, nothing. <laughs> and you're like, so let me get this straight. Like, your goal is to publish a book of writing. And you've it, that'd be like, my goal is to do a stand-up special. And I'm like, oh, well, when can I see you perform? And you're like, oh, I, I've i never done it before. Like, you, you know, you the, the way you would succeed on stage and then on television would be, to be doing the thing constantly and to build an audience and to build a relationship with that audience. And there's a, there's somehow a reluctance to do that with like, people are like, I want to be a professional photographer. And it's like, well, where's your photography? And you're like, Oh, it's all in my phone. I've never shown it to anyone. And you're like, okay, yeah, that's not how this works.
0: Right. It's not, you have to be taking your licks and be very public about it. I mean, yeah. the concept of a Netflix special for a comedian is a great one because, you know, we've had Nate Bargatze on the show, you know, you, you know, Joe Rogan and Kevin Hart and like they, uh, Nate bargatze has been on the show and he said, I performed seven days a week in New York for almost 10 years. And right now there, and there are people saying like, I don't want to get my material out there before I get my Netflix special. <laughs> like that's the mentality, which is exactly the opposite. And I think that, you know, that it may paints a very absurd picture, but what you've well, done. I is-
1: started my first, I, I started a blog. I remember I had a friend set up a website for me the day I graduated high school, which was June of 2005. And my first book came out in June of 2012, July of 2012. So that's, uh, you know, uh, many years of writing for which I received zero compensation. Uh, but, but there's no way that when the book, like who bought the first 10,000 copies of that book, it was the people that I'd been writing for, for seven ish years, you know? Um, and so, uh, you know, it was funny. I always heard, about comedians that like, yeah, you know, I was performing in the clubs for 20 years, and then I got a TV show. And I remember as a kid thinking like, that's impossible, I could never do that. And and it was actually only like a few years ago that I did that it was like, wait, when did I start writing online? When did my first book come out? That's that's that was a long period of I wrote almost every day for seven years before I got my first check for writing. And, and honestly, that book didn't you know, it, I I feel like I really hit my stride on my third book, and so you know it took a long time. It does, but I think when people think like oh seven years or ten years or however they go, I can't do that. And I was thinking that's be, I was only thinking A to Z, but there's a bunch of letters in between there. So there, I wasn't getting paid, but there were certainly moments, like I wasn't, I didn't shout into the void for seven years. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I wrote and I had, I built up an audience and I had an interaction with that audience and, and I got a sense of what was working and not working. And like, I didn't think, I mean, in retrospect, I was a nobody, but in my head I was writing, I had fans. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like it, it yeah. was, it wasn't it, I was doing the thing. Like I was, i I was a writer, you know, I didn't call myself one, but I was a writer and I was writing. And that was what was setting up to eventually be a published author.
0: Yeah. You've got to do the verb in order to be the noun. Totally. And, and so having shifted gears or maybe realigned, I'm going to try and speak yeah. in a way that is aligned with the way you just you just laid it out for us, which is, you know, speaking about Writing about uh, Stoic philosophy. You were doing that before. You did some marketing books in the middle there. So you're, you're back in a groove, your lane, the thing that interests and is, is a focus and passion for you. How would a Stoic approach this problem that we just sort of unpacked? This idea that I, there's a gap between where I am and where I want to be. And rather than most of us are just sitting there on the couch, twitting our thumbs, thinking about it, or in the Netflix example, like I'm saving up all my material for when right. I do my well, Netflix special, which doesn't happen. So what would, a, what would a, a stoic philosopher say about that?
1: I mean, I think the stoics would, would go, okay, like, is this in your control or is it not in your control? If you're not where you'd like to be because you're currently in prison, you know, like there's a certain amount of adjustments you're going to have to make for the reality of your position, Right. Um, yeah. if you're not where you want to be because, uh, yeah, like, look, I can't quit the job because I signed a, I, I can't get out of the military. I have a four year, to, you know, commitment, right? Mm-hmm. So you'd have to go, okay, what can I do with inside this? But a stoic, I think would also go, how much of this prison that I'm in is in my own head. And I think for a lot of us, that's what it is. Like you go, oh, I can't, but of course you can. You know what I mean? Like, um, of course you can, you just don't want to, um, or,
0: or, or the, the, it's hard or it's painful. Yeah, right, you might want right. to, but there's like the pain factor. The price of pain outweighs how much you want it. But this yeah. is we're we're you know I'd like to uh, pat myself on the back here because we're following the script that I'm sort of sort of had some notes here about. It just seems to me, and there, I'm trying to make two points at once. One, one it, sorry, one is how practical. Stoicism is, and two that it's all around us, and we're you know it, it's it's very very helpful to be able to understand through the lens of either practicality or stoicism that most of the things that stand between where you are right now and where you want to be, they are largely if they're not a product in, of your head, then you are in the military or you are fill in the blank that is a, a an actual uh, hurdle. That's, well, uh, that's one thing. But most
1: things aren't. I'll give you another example that I talk about in the Lives of the Stoics book. So Seneca is this brilliant uh, philosopher that uh, I, I know you've read his stuff. Uh, our friend Tim Ferriss is a huge fan. He's a big subject of my books. So one of the interesting things about Seneca is that historically, um, up until relatively recently, um, historians – so, so their, Seneca was a politician as well. And, and, and historians found it inconceivable that Seneca, the politician, like the, mo- one of the most powerful men in Rome could be the same person as Seneca, the philosopher, writer, playwright, right? So he did all these things and they thought there must be Seneca, the politician. Mm-hmm. And, and then, and then there's the Seneca, Seneca, the writer, like it, it was inconceivable that they were the same. And, and, uh, I was reading a, a great writer recently and he observed, he was like, it'd be like if ralph waldo emerson had also been lincoln's vice president you know right. what i mean yeah. like that, but but it was possible he actually yeah. he was a doer and an artist and 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 so that when we talk about stoicism being practical and real it's like here you had like one of the busiest people in the entire world in his own time also on the side writing these plays and these letters and these essays which ultimately have far eclipsed his political accomplishments, but he would have had every reason to say, I don't have time to do that. He would have had every reason to say, people aren't going to take me seriously. I'm a politician who wants to read my, you know, my poetry or whatever, but he did it. And, and and it's, I mean, humanity is, is the greater for it, but, but a lot of these limitations about what we think is possible and not possible is just totally, It's totally artificial and it's artificial until somebody breaks it. You know, it's like you can't play football and baseball and then somebody does it and it's like, oh shit, it is possible. You know, like you can do it. It's just, as you said, most of the time, the reason people think you can't is because it's actually really, really hard.
0: Right. Or in the sense of, say, working remotely, which is (laughs) a world that we're all completely immersed in and was thought to be absolutely unfathomable for all kinds of sectors is now real because you fucking had to because <laughs> right. you, you, it's that or death yeah. or it's that yes. or disease or it's that or illness or, and as soon as you can start to wrap your, you know, it's like the Roger, you know, Roger Bannister four minute
1: mile. Like it's always impossible until somebody does it. So Robert Greene talks about like a death ground strategy. You know, he's like, if your back was to the wall, you'd be able to do it. Right. And, and arm like the worst thing is like the worst thing armies can do is put their, opponent in a position where they have to fight to the death, right? If, if the, if the, if the opposing army has an escape route, they'll take it. If you're like stand or die, that's when people are, you know, capable of incredible things. And so sometimes it's about putting yourself in a position like that. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so when we are talking about leaping, you don't always have to do, but sometimes one of the benefits of like, no, I fucking quit this job and I'm finally going to do it is that now you're like, shit if I don't do it, no food, no food. And so, yeah, it's, it's hard and you don't think it's possible, but in fact, if you could reframe it in some way or see it from another perspective, of course it's possible.
0: Yeah. I think it's interesting. Also a little corollary to that is right now, most people who are stuck are whinging about how, how hard it is to, um, do both to have two jobs and to get up early and write or to get up early and draw or paint or whatever their mode of expression is or build that MVP product that they're going to put out there in the world. But alternatively, like what if it was your only chance? Yeah. Doesn't that make the current problem seem pretty luxurious? (laughs) Like if you had no other opportunity, you had to actually go sell a photograph this month or you were not going to eat. Doesn't it make it seem pretty good that you have a roof over your head and that you can do things at your own pace because you've got some creature comforts and you have another job? And I think, you know, in there lies, I just keep bringing it back to Stoicism. There's just certain practicality. And if you can reframe an argument, and, you know, and you already cited how prolific Seneca was in so many different areas of life and career and whatnot, like, uh, and, and, and to be fair, like saying how hard other people have it doesn't always work to motivate or inspire, but I just, I'm looking for ways that we can rid ourselves of the stories that we're telling ourselves and, or at least recognize that 90% of them are stories. And to your point earlier, there are people for who are, this are, we are speaking from a place of privilege. You and I are both white and male, and I want to make sure that we include the, the same thing could be true, but through a different lens from virtually anyone. Like There are areas or, or factors that life that unequivocally are huge barriers that we can't possibly consider everything in our discussion right now. But the reality is that people have overcome huge obstacles and the one that you're struggling with right now is probably overcomable <laughs> as well.
1: So, so not only have people overcome, like, I think it can be almost not direct enough to go like people have overcome horrible obstacles, but, but yeah, sure. First off, think about the things you've overcome in your own life, but, but you are a direct descendant of those people, or you wouldn't be here. Like you come from an unbroken line of successful ancestors who endured things that are worse than whatever we're going through right now. I mean, like, look, all of your ancestors, or sorry, at least one of your ancestors, <laughs> uh, survived the Spanish flu. At least one of your ancestors survived World War II. Survived the Black Death. Survived a- anything you can imagine. Right? Yeah. We're, we are we are a descendant from those people. Right? So yeah. every like you don't come from an unbroken line of losers by definition, evolutionarily. That doesn't make sense, right? You come from an unbroken line of people who've been through real shit. The human species has, uh, if, if you take for granted that like, Humanity is pro- progressing, right? Which we clearly are. I mean, I'd rather be alive now than 500 years ago. And a yeah, despite
0: years. what you'd read from the news, it's <laughs> the safest time to be alive by orders of magnitude. Yes.
1: So, but so you're descended from those people that got through that shit to now, and you know, I think that can put some of the 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 self pity that you feel in in perspective. You know, um, and that that's what I that's what I try to remind myself of.
0: If you, again, let's go back to Stoicism for a second because we we haven't gone deep there. But part of so much, rather, of what not just part, so much what we're talking about has a very crisp place to in Stoic philosophy. And I mentioned it being very utilitarian and practical and all these things. And I want to understand when you either I don't know if you would call it fell in love or were inspired by or why don't you tell us, you know, how it first captured your head and heart. And, um, and, you know, I remember reading personally, uh, when I decided that I wanted to be a professional artist, I wanted to make things for a living. I wanted to make photographs and books and businesses. And so I started reading biographies of my favorite artists. And Mm -hmm. I'm wondering what your experience was with stoicism. And so tell us about that first sort of fire and, how you think of it now are you still reading those things to be inspired
1: i mean i think this is my like uh 15 year old copy of meditations right here um so i i I i was introduced to the stoics at about 19 years old when i was still in college and uh i read this book and it was just like this is it you know like this is what i needed this is the advice that i needed um it's obviously been a journey since then. I mean, the, the Stoics even talk about this, the, the idea that you don't step in the same river twice. Like, I imagine if you reread today some of those formative biographies of artists that you read that got you inspired when you started, you'd have a totally different reaction to it. You'd be like, oh shit, Picasso was awful. Like I don't right, want to be yeah. like him at all, or whatever. Right, right. You know, whatever it is. Um uh but 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 I, I think there's something to you know, just getting the stuff straight from the source, and then you go out and you experience things, and then you return to the source, and it's sort of this, sort of uh, feedback loop between the the inspiration and experience, inspiration and experience. And so, I don't, I don't know why it struck me the way that it did, but, but I think there, I think I, I've been reflecting on this recently. It's like when I first read it, I really got a lot of the the productivity benefits out of it, and then. You know, as I got a little bit older, I got more of a resiliency side of it. And then it was, oh, the the ethical formulations. And like, you know, uh, every time I've gone back to that well, I've I've drawn something different back out of it. And so that's that's been the journey that I've been on.
0: Um, now, before, we're going to put a pin in that just for a second. Okay. And I'm going to – so. I'd like to cover the ground of your latest book, which is The Lives of the Stokes, and we're doing it indirectly here. Um, I want to go into a couple specific chapters, uh, one in particular, Seneca the Striver. Yeah, Seneca is such a, a factor in your world, but the fact that if, if we put a pin in the actual book, which... Mm-hmm. I loved The Daily Stoic, which it was an earlier book be- uh, by Ryan and uh, our mutual friend, uh, Stephen
1: Hanselman. Yes. Shout out, shout out to Steve. Um, Steve was and- actually the the driving factor behind both books. Steve was like, hey, I think you should do, Steve is my agent, he's your agent for people who don't know. Steve was like, you should do a book of one page a day of The, Sto- of the Stoics. And I said, but I don't, I don't know how to translate. And he said, I'll, I'll do that part. And I said but I don't know who reads those. And he was like, he was like, you will have fun writing it and it will be your best selling book. And I was like, okay, this sounds like something your agent would tell you. (laughs) And, uh, and and, you got to know
0: Steve and he's very convincing in the most, like, he just says something and then looks wide eyed at you and waits for you to respond. you're like,
1: yeah. And, and and, and he's right. It's been, uh, it's, it's been, uh, the, the book is, it's not quite my best selling book, but it's close. and and it's, you know, it's it'll have a better year this year than than last year and the year before and the year before. So it's been this really strange, surreal journey. And then afterwards, he said, "You know, I think we should do a biography of all the Stoics." And I said, uh, "I don't think anyone will read that." And he's <laughs> like, "No, we'll figure it out." And and we ended up doing that. It's like the it's like the first book is like, "What did the Stoics say?" You know, "What is Stoicism?" And then the second book is like, "But who were the Stoics? Did they how did they actually live to these ideas?" And uh, it, it's been really cool to do both of them.
0: Well, it's a fascinating um, area to hang your hat because I, I, most people don't know this, but I was in a PhD program in philosophy and had, you know, my undergraduate degree was in philosophy and uh, having read a lot of philosophy, including Stoics, Stoic philosophy, it is fascinating to me your ability to translate that philosophy and make it um, relatable and valuable and connect it to modern popular culture, which clearly, again, you sold, uh, I'll call it millions, but we don't need to fill in the actual number of books and in an area of you know, ancient wisdom and its application to current times.
1: Why is that
0: true? Why is that possible?
1: I don't know. I, I don't know. It doesn't I mean it's it's one of those things that feels very natural to me so it's somewhat uh baffling to me that it's not all like that all the time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um I like I don't I don't get what the purpose of writing philosophy that's not accessible to people is. You know, um it's it's funny too cuz like some people get mad about the books and <laughs> They'll say mad. what? Well, no. Like people say, oh, you're you're monetizing philosophy, right? Uh, you're and 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 at first that sort of that I was like, is that true? And then and then I thought, you know, you're a tenured university professor. You're also monetizing philosophy. You're just monetizing it to a hundred students a semester. Uh, in in <laughs> while their parents are paying fifty thousand dollars a year for them to attend your classes. And I'm selling it to people in the form of books that cost $15 on Amazon. I'm not sure I'm the one that that has to look in the mirror with any sort of shame about what I'm doing. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, to, to me, the purpose of philosophy is that it's supposed to reach people and make their lives better. It seems, uh, in retrospect, quite strange to me that philosophy should be ghettoized in Academia and only accessible to people who speak this ridiculously artificial language of of sort of you know academic philosophy, like it. Yeah, have tweed you know patches I
0: mean? on their elbow, tweed tweed yeah. elbow patches, right?
1: <laughs> right, or a turtleneck, or whatever.
0: <laughs> well, this makes me want to bring up a quote from Seneca, which is: "All study of philosophy and reading should be for the purpose of living a happy life." Yeah. So is it, is it truly that simple?
1: I think so. I mean, I, I opened the book, so I went, I went, I was trying to figure out, like I wrote a bunch of different versions of the intro. Like I wrote a version I was really happy with. Then my editor didn't like it. And so I redid it that she was very happy with. And then I really didn't like it. And right as the book was about to go to print, I was, I was, uh, walking along the Colorado river, uh, Right before uh, the pandemic, and and it and this phrase just sort of came, and I I went back to my desk and I tore up the intro and and I opened the book with the only reason to study philosophy is to become a better person and and I think when Seneca is saying happy you know the the Stoic definition of happy doesn't just mean like feel good all the time so so that word can be difficult to that that the way he's expressing it can be a little bit confusing to me it's like philosophy is supposed to make you better better ethically better morally better you know uh, strategically every sense yeah. yeah wiser like like the 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 four virtues of stoicism are courage justice wisdom and temperance so it's supposed to make you better in those four areas which to me creates a well-rounded person so uh, i i think yeah i mean what what it like here's a so elon musk is sort of popularize this philosophical question of like how do we know that we're not living in a computer simulation right and that's like that's a philosophical question right uh,
0: yeah. yeah philosophy my philosophy classes when I was a sophomore in college were considering that how are how are we not in a giant simulation?
1: yeah so I mean here's a better question what the fuck would that change if it were true like what like what are you supposed to you do with that information it's a totally it's, it's almost, it's a, it's like a math problem, but the answer doesn't mean anything. Do you know what I mean? Like, it wouldn't change anything. I mean, uh, it it, it doesn't, it doesn't change a single thing. uh, Except maybe if you are, you should kill yourself, which is already a philosophical question. You know what I mean? Like, like, that's already a a problem of life. So, so I, I think, I think, to me, the purpose of philosophy, the purpose of stoicism, is so much more urgently necessary than what a lot of people assume philosophy is.
0: That's part to me, what is so extraordinary about this arc of books that you have um, written over the past half a dozen years. And in particular, the one that I'm holding up right now, those of you who are listening and not watching, you don't get the benefit. Um, the lives of the Stoics is retrace going was talking about going back to the source or like what is what, what is the life of uh, a stoic what, you know what was yeah. it like? And in this was really interesting for me because I hadn't studied, as I mentioned, I sort of gravitated toward artist biographies rather than philosopher bi- biographies, even though I come from a background of philosophy. So in the process of dissecting and devouring the lives of stoic philosophers, were you supr- well, Let me say, not were you surprised? Because I'm guessing there had to be some surprises. Let's say, yes. what what surprised you the most about the lives that they led?
1: Well, so I, I I present Cicero and Seneca as two interesting philosophers that I think are feel very modern in how ambitious they were. They had this sense of like, if I could just get like famous enough or powerful enough or important enough, then everything will be good. Maybe it's like then dad will be proud of me you know, then, then, uh, then I can make a difference, you know, and it, it, this, this drive really gets them both into trouble in a lot of ways. So Panic I this that, driver. Yeah. 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 And, and Cicero was, was like, Cicero is kind of a guy who talked about it, but didn't believe it, you know, and he of using it as a means to an end. So, uh, it was just, it was just interesting with like people are people, like people have always, you know, it, it's, uh, I think that's another interesting part. It's like, you know, when you study philosophy, you, you you spend a lot of time thinking about what people say. You don't spend much time examining how that looks in the real world. You know, um, and and a, a, if the purpose of philosophy is to live a better life, we really need to we really do need to think about you know how has this worked historically, and and so that was kind of the premise of the book. Is like. Well, what did Marcus Aurelius look like? How did the philosophy help him and how did it hurt him? You know, uh, how did it help Cato do some good things? And and where 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 did he fall short of his own advice in other places? So that that's I, I just wanted to look at who these people were as human beings, which is not something we do very often. Like, yeah. um, like nobody thinks, like, if you if you are a Harvard philosophy professor, you know you're judged on the books that you publish or the papers that you write. No one would ask like, well, what have you ever done? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And how how have you
0: lived your life? uh, Yeah. According to the philosophers that you espouse, right? Well, that's one thing that the reason my, my sort of line of questioning here is around it's, it is surprisingly modern. That's the lens that the lives of the Stoic it, and you know it maybe it's like Nietzsche's eternal return. like everything you know comes you know is historical and comes back again. Part of you know when someone's sitting there like, okay cool, I really like Ryan's stuff. ego is the enemy. Well, that's cool. that's really about ego and that's the thing that I have to put in check for myself or you know anything else but the you know biographical th- this is absolutely historical. And yet it's repeating itself in real time right in front of you at every moment of your day. It is an unbelievably contemporary uh, to dissect the lives of, you know, so many of the smartest people in our past.
1: Well, I was thinking about this this morning. Like, you know, people are like, well, when will things go back to normal? And it's like, this is normal. Uh, this is normal. Uh, like pandemics are normal. <laughs> you know, civil unrest is normal. I mean, I was th- like. Like look at the last 20 years. In 2000 we had a contested election where a candidate lost the popular vote. We had then we had a terrorist attack where thousands of Americans died. Then there was SARS and and Ebola and other pandemics. You know, then we had a major financial recession. Uh you know like like it this is normal. Try to try to find me a decade in which this the kinds of stuff that have happened over the last three or four years are not the norm. Like yeah. this is what life is. Um, it's, I mean, Marcus Aurelius was writing meditations during what we now call the Antonine plague, which was a pandemic that originated in the far East and then spread throughout the empire, uh, the Roman empire. And it brought the most powerful country in the world to its knees. You know what I mean? Like it's, it, it I, I was thinking about this, uh, with the Spanish influenza, like uh, the president of the United States, Woodrow Wilson, caught the Spanish flu, just like <laughs> Donald Trump did. Like, like uh, history is the same thing happening over and over and over again. Uh, you know, there's nothing new under the sun, as it says in the Bible. Um, the, it's, it's, it's not that what I'm writing about is modern. It's that this stuff is timeless.
0: Talk to me about the female stocks because I believe that most uh stoicism historically for obvious reasons when I say history there's so uh gender biased yeah um but you, know, you you share um about like Portia Cato and uh the Roman senator Tracea
1: is that right how do you say that oh Thra- Thracia. he he's Thracia. a man uh oh, okay but 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 his wife is sort of a a promise well, his wife of, is, stoic is badass but no yeah. um that was something that was really important in the book because yes, stoicism can feel like a very male philosophy. Yeah. Um, obviously, you know, when one of the interesting things about having a platform is you see like sort of who the fans actually are and, and, you know, I can see what percentage of the readers and the Facebook fans and stuff are women. and It's a much larger percentage than people would think. And I, I think, I think the real reason is I think anyone uh obviously anyone that that's that's married to a woman or or anyone that's spent time around women knows that uh, of of the two genders, uh women are actually probably much more stoic as a rule than than men are. Um, you know, uh I and I I was thinking about that too historically, and I, I put it in the book. It's like, you know, the fact that women are, I think, as a rule, more stoic than men. Um, and then, you know, didn't complain about. Men taking all the credit for 2,000 years is probably the ultimate testament of it. Um, but but my wife likes to joke um, in our relationship, one of us is a Stoic and then one of us writes about Stoicism. <laughs> so... <laughs> uh, I, it was very important to me to to put a, a female uh, stoic in the book. There are obviously historically not as many of them as a, yeah. a, sort of with with enough material around it that I could craft the chapter. But 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 Cato, one of the the famous uh, towering Roman stoics, teaches his daughter philosophy, and and she's integral in the plot to assassinate Julius Caesar, um, and and is a, is a well known stoic. And then another stoic, Musonius Rufus. Um, writes a few hundred years after Cato that he's like, look, you don't care whether a horse is a male or a female or a hunting dog is a male or a female. Like what matters is, do they fulfill the qualities that you're looking for in a dog or a horse? And he's like, virtue doesn't care if you're a man or a woman. It's uh, are you the, do you have the components of that thing? Yes or no. I thought that
0: was interesting. and, And i it uh, jumped off the page that, that, that was uh, part of the book. And I found it uh, timely and, and very um, interesting, especially grounding it in the way you have there with who, who's actually living <laughs> the, the philosophy. So I'm going to step away from the specifics of the book again. like what floored me is how modern and how contemporary the, uh, the extract, you know, what was what I was able to extract from the book, but I want to talk about the process because as someone okay. who's now written, written ten books, um, there's so much to um, to dissect about ten books. That is like a that is a Herculean effort, and you don't look like you're slowing down anytime soon. So what I like to do in the same way, our our mutual friend, Tim, that you mentioned, he doesn't want to look at an ultra marathoner. He wants to look at an ultra marathoner that's like 220 pounds and has no, you know, genetic, like, how have they done this? Because that will tell you some of the, the real secrets rather than someone who is born into a culture that running was whatever, or they have a different, uh, physical disposition. So sure. what I go to in those situations is process. Like how does the person achieve those results consistently? And that's what I'm hoping you can share with us because 10 books, my God, having, you know, written one myself, it's a lift, it, you know, it's, it's monstrous. So what's your process?
1: Um, I was talking to, I had Michelle Watterson on my podcast, the MMA fighter, uh, recently. And and we were talking about like, the hardest thing to be a fighter is like, you have to train for a fight, right? And you have to get to like, your fighting weight. Part of my sort of writing creative philosophy is like, I don't do the ups and downs of it. Like, I'm just always doing it. You know what I mean? So instead of like, I think part of the reason that the book was hard for you is one, you have a day job. and, And then you're like, okay, I'm gonna go write a book, right? You didn't. You didn't say like I am a writer. This is what I do now. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Um, yeah. So so it's like you had to do all the work that I I have to do on a book, but you did it almost like a what do they call the mandala where it's like you build it and then it just yeah. all goes away. Yeah. Uh, I, I,
0: goes away. yeah. yeah
1: I set up like I have a permanent system. You know what I mean? Like for me, it's a system, and I'm always writing, always working. And like when lives when lives came out in September. Uh, the end of September, I was putting the finishing touches on the next book. And now that book is starting to go in, like, I'll probably turn that book in, in the next week or two. And, and then I'll I'll probably take like, you know, a slight break like for the holidays or whatever. Um, But I'll still be thinking about the next idea. But like, I'll, I'll probably get very serious about the next book, like, around the beginning of the year, like early January, probably. So like, for me, I just, I just don't, I, I, I'm,
0: you're never not at your fighting weight.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Exactly.
0: So staying in creative shape, you know, that's in part what my book and what this audience knows to be true from me, at least that creativity is a habit more than it is a skill. And this yes. idea of doing something every day in the case of you know, in your case, writing every day, or in the case of uh someone who is a fitness trainer or like you the idea of never getting out of shape. Of course life happens and things wax right. it, wax and wane. But can you tell us a little bit about your daily? Like what's the daily look for you? I, I've Heard you talk about it a lot, and I'm sure it's evolving, but many of the things stay the same. So, what are the content, constant sort of non-negotiables in your creative practice? Because saying I write every day is, yeah, you know that that says a lot in itself. But there are people right now, like, all right, when does when does Ryan write?
1: Yeah, I mean, you can definitely take days off, but for me, it's like I'm always working on a project, and I'm always doing something that'll get me a little bit closer. But I, I'm a big, I get up early. I don't go straight into phone or social media and then I try to do my writing as early as possible. Like I try to go right into that. And whether it's for 20 minutes or it's for 4 consecutive hours, the point is like I'm I'm putting in work every day. And I I think I think people have trouble conceptualizing that that's really the only way to do a book. I mean, you wake up every day and you put in some work like today. The work I was putting in was I had, I had two note cards, two note cards of stuff that I'd written down the night before the, uh, of little things that I was tweaking on a book that's, you know, probably 95% done. So uh, it, it, it was, okay, pull up, go to that page, grab the stuff from the notes, work on it. That that's what I was doing today. I mean, flashback six months, the stuff I was tweaking today didn't exist. And I was having to make it up from scratch. But, um, it's, it's, you know, what, what's the small part of the large task that you're tackling today? That that's really my writing philosophy.
0: And you do it early in the day so that things can't steal your time.
1: Yeah. Well, it's not steal the time. It's, it's like, you know, Stephen Pressfield, where is it? The War of Art, which everyone should read. Um, You know, Pressfield talks about the resistance. And I think it's more like the resistance gains power throughout the day. And so early in the day, you know, it's like you cross a river at the source, not at its widest point. And early in the day, there's less resistance because there's less things to feel resistance about. There's less opportunities for it. And so I just try, I, I get it done, you know, and then if other things happen, other things happen
0: parallel to creative process. I'm an advocate of creative cross training. Yeah. So, I try and have a number of projects going at the same time. One might be my job that is, you know, either building creative live or or any any major task that's not leaving the building anytime soon. Right. And you know, things like writing books and making, you know, videos for social this podcast is a great example um and i usually have a half a dozen other you know personal projects that are going on that are maybe not going to be so public like uh, you know remodeling my house or designing a new fill in the blank and what i have noticed as uh your friend that you are also branching out you're doing more video work i was just going to say that yeah and i am seeing this expression sort of manifest in different uh different media and i'm wondering if you can you know, I, haven't yeah. you talk, I haven't heard you talk about this before, so i'm I'm
1: curious so i've I've always been a big believer that like uh, so I like books and I like that's ultimately I'm a writer that's what I identify with that's what I want to do. I want people to read my writing, but I also understand that's not like the medium that that everyone defaults to and so you have a podcast or you have articles or you have uh, uh videos or talks or what you have all these other things that bring people into that but video for whatever reason was something I, I was intimidated by i don't know why i think so one of the things i've realized about myself is like i have trouble doing stuff for for nobody so like like um so so like we started i, I started investing in video maybe two or two or so years ago and i would kind of like someone would come and film me talking about some stuff and then that would go up and then we'd take clips from my talks and that would go up and And, as the YouTube channel grew to be like, you know, now we have about two hundred and fifty thousand subscribers, now I'm just now, like in the last like month or two, I felt some sort of transition where I'm like, oh, there's an audience here. i can I can put creative energy towards speaking in this medium. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like, uh, like, I don't know. there there's and that's probably not the healthiest attitude, but I guess what I'm saying is like, I've just now, like now that I know that it's not a waste of time, I feel more comfortable. Like I got some different cameras and I'm like really teaching myself how to use the cameras. And I'm starting to like think about like, okay, like I got to put the camera here and camera here and then I'll walk. Like I'm actually thinking in that medium, which I was never doing before. It was just like, oh, we have to do some videos. Like tell me where you want me to stand. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> what do I have to say again? You know, and and so um but it but it's been fun and it's been going really it's been going better and better and it, i don't know now i'm i'm sort of into the challenge of it uh and it's been fun um so yeah i'm definitely doing more video and and hopefully it you know it sort of you know brings more people into the into the universe but it's been also just creatively interesting
0: yeah it's do you have a process of bouncing back and forth between a couple of different you know media or is it all in service of one thing, and is the uh, the media just a a downstream effect of where audience lives? Like, how I know I yeah I'm curious the way you
1: think about it. I think it's uh, it's for me it's like look at the end of the day I think you want to be very clear about what you're doing and why you're doing it. So it's like for me it's like books. That's that's what I feel like I can do better than anyone or really good, and that's why I'm doing it. So. Um, At the end of the day, it's about driving people back towards that thing. Um, And then that also helps define my schedule, which is like writing in the morning. And then like, yeah, then I'll do podcasts like now or I'll do, you know, after this, there's a video thing I was going to shoot really fast. So I'll I'll do it like that. You know, what what I'm, it is important that, you know, if you're everywhere, you can be nowhere. So it is really important that you kind of have some clear prioritization. I've definitely seen writers get you know sort of corrupted by or broken by twitter or something where it's like this medium is so much easier that you're you're just like pursuing it at the expense of the really hard skill you should be practicing
0: that's fascinating say more about that
1: well it's like writing books is really fucking hard like it's really hard um writing a tweet i'm not saying writing a tweet is easy and there's definitely people who are masters of it i'm just saying like if you want the dopamine hit, the validation of being seen and heard, Instagram and Facebook and Twitter are much much easier than spending two years of your life on a book. Yeah. So 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 if if you're really just doing this for the attention, you know I think look, I think a lot of the reason people are like people are suddenly making podcasts is they're like oh shit you can make money doing this and it's so much easier than the other thing. It's just you just get a microphone and you talk. In reality it's hard to do it well, but I think yeah. I think it's like look at the end of your life are you going to be proud of the thousands of hours of podcast interviews you did or is there going to be you know that you did on like a one-off basis or are you going to be prouder of like the real works of art that you made. Yeah.
0: Fascinating. I I want to talk about writing. Okay. So you are a writer and yeah. what a lot of people don't know about me is that I saw myself as a writer long before a photographer. And I was just very impatient. And so I went from writing to painting to from oil painting to acrylic painting and ended up at photography because it was so immediate. And it served the need that I felt as a creator. I just wanted to be able to create, you know, volume was important because that's feedback. The feedback sure. loop was just, you know, it was high reps on the feedback loop. But there's something that I cannot ignore. And I, I got away from writing. And that's part of the reason that I wrote Creative Calling is because there was so much material and it was it needed to be packaged in a different way. It was required that I put it out there. I mean, for me personally, required to put it out there that way. And in doing that, writing became a habit again. And it was amazing. And what I've found is that it provided a certain clarity for me that I did not have without it. So I am here trying to to get your opinion on the value of writing. For, for There's people who are listening right now that are it, from needlepoint to ceramists, to CEOs, to, you know, athletes. I I try not to, to be prescriptive, but I am at a point right now where I would like to prescribe the act of writing. And I'm curious what Ryan holiday, a writer would say to that. And if, if there's disproportionate value or why, why writing should be done by more people?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, to me, it's the most challenging of the mediums and it's the most durable and, and, meaningful i I don't know i just i there's something about sitting down and trying to marshal your thoughts into sentence form that is i mean it's i mean obviously painting and sculpture and these other forms of art are really old but i mean so much of the great works of human history are stories like are are writing and 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 it's you know it's the the right you know like um Twain said that uh, the difference between the right word and the wrong word is like lightning and lightning bug. You know, it's just like when you fucking nail it, it's just like so good, you know, and and uh, to have that experience of like, oh, here's what it looks like when you really articulate your thoughts exactly as they were in your head. There's just you wake up. I wake up every day excited about that challenge. And I, I think if you haven't done it or you're scared of it, you should try it.
0: Well, just the way that I have started to think about it, and I'd be curious to get your take on my take, is that like writing is so seminal. Think about films or TV shows, they're all written first. Yep. Like, you know, it's further upstream in the process. And there's this sort of immediacy of and clarity of what's in my melon, getting it into a way that's shareable. And it forces two things. It forces, A, just the getting out, but B, getting out in a way that you can try and presc- or, or make someone else feel or experience. You want to get as close as you can to what's going on in your brain and mastering the language and structure and syntax and and even just the immediacy of the idea because, shit, our brain is it's impermanent, right? The things that, oh, that's a great idea. What do you say? Oh, I'm going to remember that for later. And then an hour later, you're like, fuck, what was I thinking? What was that thing again? It's like getting it on the page somehow takes it from this fuzzy ethereal to something concrete.
1: I totally agree. There's something magical about it. I mean, look, I, I'm i always jealous of musicians because there's an immediacy and a power to music that writing doesn't have. But mm-hmm. um, I mean, look, the the... There's a reason books are really special to people. Books have have occupied a place in culture for, you know, a couple thousand years. And I don't think that's going anywhere and I just I just it's 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 what I like, it's what I feel like I was born to do, so that's that's what I that's what I spend my time on. I, weirdly, I don't spend that much time thinking about this question cuz it just seems like like oh, to no, yeah. no, no, yeah, to me, it's just like, of course, it's of course, it's like intrinsically, uh, in undeniably the best. I, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> but that I, I'm sure that says something more about me than it does about writing.
0: What about morning pages, for example, like Julia Cameron, the prescription? Like, this is I part, do jur- of-
1: I do journaling, but not morning. I mean, I guess they're morning pages. I do journaling, but it's not really part of my creative exercise at all. It's more like my mental, mental. health exercise, but. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, take I mean, us through you
0: that. Uh, just unpack that a little bit, because I think your your mental health and the things that you do to take care of yourself. I'm that's part of why I'm hanging my hat on writing because it's yeah. so it, the the it it manifests in lots of ways as a you know as sort of foundational and it it is a form of mental health or can be if, you know, it's, it's just like, it's so, there's so many virtues to it that I'm starting to, as you know, whether it's as maturity or wisdom or maybe it's ignorance, I don't know. I'm starting to find more and more value in writing things down, but help me understand your, your,
1: your mental health part. For me, it's about getting it out of my head and onto the page. That's really what it is. Um, because then once it's on the page it's not in my head anymore and then and then it's not my problem you know i think i think there's just something powerful about getting it out and i think that's the in some ways that's the creative urge it's like i got this thing inside me and i want to get it out maybe for some people that's a painting some people that's a song some people that's a poem some people that's a that's a movie you know for me it's it's writing or it's in the journal or whatever but it's about it's just, just about getting it out
0: speaking of getting it out is that what stoics did i they... think so
1: i i mean medit medit meditations is marcus aurelius talking to himself you know and seneca's plays are clearly commentaries on the tyrants of his time you know um so i think there's always a personal element to it and then there's like what you're trying to say you know there's the personal and the philosophical i think
0: I think it's fascinating that, that I believe all of them were writers.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. Maybe that's why I like it so much. <laughs>
0: what What is the, what what's next in stoicism for you? Clearly, you know, just, I, I want to build out a little bit yeah. of the structure uh, and I'll, I'll probably have a couple of missteps in here. You can correct me, but I want to lay this out and let you respond to it. So, you've been writing about stoicism from you know ego mm-hmm. and the daily stoic lives of the stoic the book that we're talking about here which i cannot recommend enough against incredibly modern and contemporary and it's, it's so practical um you've got the daily stoic newsletter you've got the podcast which is uh tied to the newsletter separate you know different media but similar and so you've got this entire an, an entire ecosystem now and is that a is that the marketer in you that's trying to build the surround sound or is you know, this there's
1: a little, there's a little bit of that. I mean, I, I, I also can see, you know, sort of the opportunities in it and and how like the different things all support each other. And like, look, it's not easy. Like it's not, it's, I think sometimes people go, Oh, why are you doing all this stuff? It's like, well, you know, it's not free to host a pod. Like, I mean, it's cheap in some ways, but it's like, you know, like the, the podcasts and the videos and the stuff It that the, the the whole ecosystem supports itself, right? Yeah. And the, the videos drive people to the books, but the videos aren't free to make. You know, I have to pay someone, uh, and so so it's like uh, there's a whole ecosystem there. I think for me, next uh, I've got sort of a series of books that I'm working on that'll be inspired by stoicism. I'm not really talking about them yet, but um yeah, just I, I think at the end of the day, it's about the writing. It's about the books, so it all supports the ability to to do the books, and then to bring the books to as many people, uh, as, as they can, they can help.
0: What are your thoughts on mastery? Focusing on one thing to get good enough that you might be able to understand what it feels like to have command of a medium or, uh, what, what what's your thoughts on it?
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, I think it's just, I mean, I, I, ma- writing is the the thing that I'm trying to master the other things I'm doing to drive my mastery of writing. You know what I mean? It's it, it, you, like I was saying earlier, you got to know what, what you're doing it all for. And if you don't, I don't think you'll end up getting there.
0: Well said. Now, for those of you out there who uh, for, for whom this is your first exp- exposure experience to Ryan, welcome to the party. <laughs> um, Ryan, I want to just give you a shout out. You've been doing this at a very, very high level for a long time, and it's fun to see all the success. Indeed, we we share uh, a book agent and lots of friends, but it's it's also it's been really fun to see this this explosion of your work and to have it being read by pro athletes and senators and uh, you know world leaders and business leaders. Um, has is that, that been joyful for you?
1: Yeah, it's been really awesome, man. And no, I appreciate it. you. Were, I think you were like the first interview I ever really did. So, so I appreciate you help kicking it all off.
0: No, was, yeah, that was back in two thousand twelve for your first book. Trust me, I'm lying, yeah. which was so prescient, so ahead of its time. <laughs> and here we are in a world where people are are where truth is actually.
1: Oh, I don't it's even want to think that that. For
0: some people I know. We don't need to go back to that. But I just I think there's so much. Uh, the career arcs are fascination of mine. And it's just been so fun to see the work that you've been putting out there and it's not slowing down anytime soon. And, and thankful for those of us who are not just friends, but fans that we get to keep seeing your work out there in the world. So I want to say thanks a lot. Congratulations for those who don't have it yet. Lives of the Stoics. uh, It's the latest must have from Ryan and our mutual homie, Steve Hanselman. Anything where you're going to steer people? Like if you, of course, from, you know, picking yeah, up daily- a copy of the book, but what, is there anything else where you'd want people to get into your, your orbit a little more? Where would they go?
1: Uh, da- let's do dailystoic.com. That's the, that's the hub for all of it.
0: Cool. Congratulations, bud. Thanks again for being on the show. Always happy to be have you here. Well, that was an awesome show, but Hey, before you go, I want you to know that I am grateful to have your ears, your attention, to have you be a part of this community. It means the world to me. Second, if you want to uh tighten our community, our relationship, I would invite you to text me. That's right. I respond. These are my thumbs, my phone number on the other side of this. And I would love to hear from you. Let me know what you think. Um if this is helping, hurting, what you want to see more of, less of, and otherwise, just connect with yours truly personally at the following number. Are you ready? 206-309-5177. That's 206-309-5177. And those are my thumbs on the other end of that text and back. I'm able to get back to you sometimes in two minutes. Maybe other times it takes me two days, but I can't wait to hear from you and uh, start a little chit chat. So again, thanks for listening to the show.
1: Stay tuned for another episode.